On this edition of the Nesson Celtics podcast, everything is bad. We'll talk about Danny Ainge potentially shuffling the roster, Jason Tatum's disgraceful performance against the Wizards, and break down some potential trade targets for the Celtics. and welcome to another edition of the Nest and Celtics podcast. I'm your host, Dakota Randall, alongside Adam London. Hopefully we get Alex Francisco back for you next week. For now, it's just Adam Adam and I steering this ship. Listen, we got a lot to get to. Uh, sky relatively falling around the Celtics right now. Uh, uh, the town's really down on them, justifiably so. Uh, tough West Coast road trip, followed by a couple really ugly games against the Pistons and Wizards. So we'll get to all that. Interesting comments from Jason Tatum today. Interesting comments from Danny Ainge yesterday. Um, some interesting trade speculation going on. So we'll get to all that. But real quick, I want to recap, uh, you know, the week that was. Listen, Celtics, we, we talked about it, Adam, when they lost to the Suns last week, that we thought that was a good opportunity to ensure that you leave the West Coast with a good taste in your mouth. Instead, they lost to the Suns. And then they go and play the Jazz, who are maybe the best team in basketball. So they lose to the Jazz as well, finish off that West Road, uh, West Coast road trip two and three, come home, rebound with a win against the Raptors, who admittedly aren't very good, but then back-to-back atrocious losses to the Detroit Pistons and especially the Washington Wizards, who, have the, who I believe had the worst record in the East, second worst record in all of basketball. Uh, a lot to hate in that game in particular, particularly just disgusting from Jason Tatum, who we'll get to in a bit. Um, but I do think maybe there are some positives that we can find, not to be too green teamerish. ish uh, but let's try and find the good in some of that. How about you go first? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was slim pickings for positives this week. I guess I'm just going to choose the Raptors game as a whole, uh, almost by default, because, I mean, there really wasn't much else to get excited about from a Boston standpoint. Um, I mean, it was encouraging from a sense that as a team, they dished out 30 assists. It was just the second time all season that they um, had 30 or more assists. They also shot 51% from three, which is always nice when you can get it. Uh, like you, But like you said, the Raptors aren't that great. And I think you could also argue they ran into some fool's gold there. Like, I don't think you can count on many games this season where you're going to get a combined 44 points from Shemi Ojale and Peyton Pritchard. <laughs> right, right. I, I feel like I thought I was in like an out-of-body experience watching Shemi Ojale drop 24 points in an NBA basketball game. I just I just never saw that coming. So, I, yeah, I guess by default, that was kind of my only positive from this week. Yeah, Shemi Ojale looking like a legitimate 3 and D player. Uh, That was going to be one of my positives. He looked really good in that game. So did Peyton Pritchard. But again, I think to your point, uh, probably an outlier Um, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Kemba Walker who, listen, I still have huge questions about whether, you know, he is the third wheel, third piece of the big three moving forward, uh, whether he's a viable option for them or whether he's ever going to return to who he was in the first half of last season. Um, I have my doubts, but regardless I believe he had 21 points against the Raptors. And then in the Wizards game, uh, he had 25 through three quarters, which was a season high. He didn't score or really play much in the fourth quarter. Uh, but regardless, he did show some of his normal burst. Uh, he, was, he was making some shots. There still were times where I'm like, it just doesn't look right. We'll see if it's a, we'll, we'll see if the knee gets better as the season progresses. But regardless, it was a sign of life from a player who, you know, just a few games before looked really bad. 
But I just think, at least for the time being, this is going to be the Kemba Walker roller coaster that we get where some nights it just doesn't look right. And we've said before that when he when he gets off to a slow start in games, he seems to get down on himself and he never pulls himself out of it. This game was kind of the opposite. He started hot and he carried it through and he had a great game. So maybe it is all more mental than it is physical for him. Uh, probably like most players, a combination of the two. But regardless, I thought it was encouraging uh, to see Kemba Walker finally have a couple of good games. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, with with, it, with him at this point, like you said, it, you you take him when you can get him, you know, because they've kind of been pretty sparse this season. Yeah, but I do believe, um, listen, he is a better option than Peyton Pritchard right now. I mean, I'm not, no one's, no one should be saying that Peyton Pritchard is a better player. But listen, I think Peyton Pritchard might give you more on the defensive end. Um, and who knows, maybe he is your future at point guard. You know, maybe your, your future third piece of the big three isn't a point guard. You know, it's a, it's a big man and you need some, your point guards to be more like a Derek Fisher type. So can Peyton Pritchard be that kind of a player? Not, he's not like Derek Fisher in terms of his game, but you know what I'm saying? So I, I do hope they give him a lot of run here going forward to see what they really have in him. I think he's proven uh, deserving of the minutes. Um, so I would, you know, I would like to see him get some more playing time, but regardless, I think the Celtics, their ceiling is at its highest when Kemba Walker is playing well. And he did play well in those two games. So we'll see if he picks it up. Uh, negatives. What do you have? I mean, there's a lot of negatives to get to, uh, but I guess what's, what's your main, your main negative for, for this past week? Yeah, I'm going to go with just the overall effort against the wizards. Uh, I think after that Pistons game, I wasn't really in like sky falling territory just cause it, it did kind of have like fluky game vibes, like, just a monster game from Sadiq Bay. Like, I think it, I, I kind of looked at it as, all right, you're going to run into those games every now and then. And then you have a golden opportunity to bounce back against the Wizards, who, like you said, probably the worst team in the East. And you just lay an absolute egg. Like, egg is probably putting it mildly. I mean, at this point, the Wizards are only going to beat you in track meets. Like, they're only going to beat you when they score, like, 140 points. To put up 90 points against a horrifically bad defensive team. They only dished out 14 assists as a team, the Celtics. No one really seemed interested in playing. And it was just it, like, it really was one of those games that makes you wonder, like this team might have some serious issues. Yeah, no, that, that, I think that's a game that a lot of us watched and went, Ooh, you know, that didn't, that didn't look good. Uh, a team that, you know, anybody who's a fan of the Celtics or follows the Celtics, I mean, you want them to go on another deep playoff run. I mean, they've been going to these Eastern Conference finals a lot of these years recently, and they keep knocking on the door of getting into the finals. So you want to see them get over the hump. But you watch that game from Sunday, and I'm, I'm sorry, a team that that is bound to make it to the NBA finals, let alone win the NBA finals, doesn't lose that kind of game. Or if they do, I mean, you can lose to the Wizards. That kind of stuff happens. Um, you were just, you just have an off Sunday afternoon against a bad team. But like you said, it was the way that they lost it. A lot of a, a poor effort, you know, so many times in that game where it was right there. You could tell Brad Stevens was calling timeouts and just pleading with his team to find the energy. And it shouldn't be that hard for professional athletes to find the energy that they need. Maybe it's about being on the road with no fans. Who knows if it's, it's all sort of combined with that, but I agree with you. It's, it's the way they lost it. But uh, for me, the number one negative is Jason Tatum uh, and the way that he played in that game. Uh, six points, I believe uh, he scored. He scored six points, got eight rebounds, four assists, uh, a couple turnovers. But I mean, there were a couple 
plays in particular where he just was dogging it, getting back on defense. Um, now, what, before I get into sort of, you know, really talking about him, he did have some interesting comments today during uh, while speaking with, with reporters Tuesday morning or afternoon, I believe, where he said that he still doesn't feel quite right since coming back from having COVID, uh, that he's been running out of breath and that he's still feeling the effects from it. Uh, so let's hear what he had to say real quick. I think it messes with your breathing a little bit. Um, I have experienced some games where uh, I don't want to say struggling to breathe, but you know you get fatigued um, a lot quicker than normal. Just uh, you know, running up and down the court a few times, it's easier to get you know out of breath or um, you know tired a lot faster. You know, I've noticed that since uh, since I've had COVID and. Uh, it's just uh, something I'm working on, you know. It's gotten better, you know, since the first game I played. But, uh, you know, I still still deal with it from time to time. All right, and we're back. So, yeah, I, I mean, listen, if, if Jason Tatum is feeling the effects from COVID and he's, he's running out of breath more easily, you know, I get it. Uh, I, or I'm going to take him at his word. And I'm sure there are residual effects from it. We've heard a lot of athletes and a lot of people say that. I will say that before he left, before he came down with COVID rather, he was averaging 26.9 points per game. Uh, and since then he's averaging 24.5. It's not a huge drop off. And that's including the six points on Sunday. So I imagine if without that game, uh, the totals would be far more close to being equal. So, and he's had some really good games. He had 33 points, I believe against the Pistons. So it just, it, it kind of reeks of just a conveniently timed excuse because, you know, I, I don't know if at any point other than after his second season has the scrutiny on him been any higher and sure it may be a huge overreaction to just one game, but people are down on him right now and wondering, you know, like what the heck was that? You guys needed that win and you went out there, put out a minus 20 scored six points and weren't getting back on defense. I think that's a very fair criticism whether or not he's feeling the effects from COVID. So to me, it seemed like a little bit of a, of a convenient excuse. Um, that said, you know, I will take him at his word. I'm sure there's been some effect, uh, but I don't know. What, what about you, Adam? Yeah, no, it really just comes back to the timing of the loss for me. This, I mean, this is a team that's in a rut where they should be looking at the schedule being like, all right, these are the games that, you know, we can rack up an easy win or should be an easy win and then kind of hope to ride the momentum from there. And it's one thing, to, like I like to call us like some teams are fun bad where like it's a team that plays hard, you know, has an interesting group of guys and they're just not talented enough. The Wizards aren't even fun bad. Like I don't yeah. think- I don't Bradley Beal is sick though. I don't think, but I think, I don't think Bradley Beal wants to be there. We know who Russ is. Russ just kind of like is whatever, like kind of wants. And then you're dealing with guys like, like Mo Wagner, like, <laughs> Mo Wagner, like you're letting guys a starting lineup with Mo Wagner in it, like that's not a team that you should be like stumbling over. You know, that's a team that you should be romping and then moving on. You know, and like the, for and for Tatum, I mean, you, you talk about a game that Tatum should feast. Like even if he's not feeling a hundred percent physically, I mean, that's you should be able to like stuff the stat sheet against a team that's so bad defensively there. And I mean, it's one thing to not, you know put up 40 to put up six when you're, you know, you're the guy is there's really just no excuse for it. Yeah, no, I agree. And the thing is you had mostly a full deck in that game. You know, you, 
they had Kemba Walker scoring 25 points. Jalen Brown showed up to play. And yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a bigger picture thing. And we'll get to it in a second with what Danny Ainge talked about yesterday. You know, the, the, I think the rest of the roster is what it is at this point. There's just not a lot of talent. Um, but regardless, you know, you had a mostly full deck. And, and I'm sorry, if, if Marcus Smart is the difference between you beating the Wizards and not, then you got pretty big issues and they, they got to figure something out because it shouldn't look this different just without Marcus Smart, who, you know, it, it, it is a roller coaster of a player anyway. Um, we, you know, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole again. Anybody who listens to this knows how I feel about Marcus Smart. But I just think you had more than enough at your disposal on Sunday to, at the very least, put out a more representative effort. Um, but they didn't. And, and for Tatum, for me, I mean, the biggest concern is that, you know, at this stage of his career, what are we, in year four, I believe we are, of Jason Tatum? Um, I, I don't think he should – you shouldn't be having these kind of games. Like, if you're destined to be the face of the franchise, which I guess he arguably is at this point. I mean, he's got the biggest contract. He's supposed to be, an, you know, an elite NBA player at some point here in the near future. Um, if that's what you're going to be, a perennial all-star, a potential, you know, leading scorer type of guy, MVP type, whatever – I mean, you can't have those kind of games. You, you, you it, I, I'm pretty sure. Well, I, I was gonna say I, I, I could score six points, but that's probably not true. But regardless, a player of his ability should be able to, at some point in the game, say, "Okay, I'm just gonna put my head down, drive to the hoop, get to the free throw line, and 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 figure something out here." And the fact that he didn't for me is really concerning. And furthermore, it's inching me closer to the take that I really want to believe in. And that is that Jalen Brown is better than, than Jason Tatum, or at the very least is the player worth investing more in uh, moving forward, even though the Celtics have invested a lot in both. Um, but for me, just my confidence in Jalen Brown right now is way higher than it is in Jason Tatum. I don't know if you've moved on that at all. No, but it did make me think about a topic we were debating a few weeks ago is, you know, if you could argue that this is Jalen Brown's team, you know, which is a different conversation than which player is better. And I think this is the type of game that shows that it, it probably is Jalen Brown's team as far as, you know, you know, who is like the glue that keeps it all together. Cause this is the type of game where you think of across the league, like the best players are going into that huddle and just reaming people out. If that's what they have to do, be basically saying like, you know, like this isn't who we are, let's step it up, you know, whatever you want to say. And I don't think Tatum's that type of player. And these type of like moments is when you need a vocal player to pipe up and say something. And as we've seen recently, Brown's not afraid to say what's on his mind. I mean, he called, you know, their effort a couple of games ago, embarrassing, you know, he's not afraid to, like, you know, pinpoint certain stuff. I'm not saying everyone has to be such a forthright vocal leader, but I mean, to just be so mild mannered like Tatum is, I mean, these are the times when I think it's a drawback. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's just, I, I think I know at this point, I know what I'm going to get every night from Jalen Brown, more or less. Like I don't, from a scoring standpoint, I don't, because there are just some nights that Jaylen, that Tatum's going to score more and Kemba Walker's going to have a big night. And as a result, Jalen Brown might only get 16. But from an effort and just an all-around quality standpoint, I know what I'm going to get from him on a nightly basis. At least I, at least at this point, I think I do. Whereas the Tatum right now, I mean, yeah, he scored six points the other night, but I think I forget if it was against the Pistons or the Raptors, but he had another one where he had like four points in the first half and only finished with like 17 or something. 
so I just, some nights I just don't know what I'm going to get. Am I going to get Jason Tatum driving to the hole, being assertive, you know, putting the team on his back, or am I going to get just step back Jason Tatum, not getting to the free throw line, not getting back on defense. And so like, I, I just don't know. Um, yeah, I just, I'm starting to look at him and saying, you gotta, you gotta start to prove it now. We're in year four. You got the huge contract. It's time to start never performing like you did in that Sunday game. So that's where I'm at. Um, okay, so I want to get to uh, some of the things that Danny Ainge said yesterday. Um, listen, I mean, he had to say something because people are criticizing the team. They're talking about trades. Um, and so I think there were a, a couple interesting quotes. Uh, he told Ashrod Blakely, uh, the record of our team is on me. Uh, it's not on coaches. on coaches. It's not on all the players, even though I know some of them are capable of playing better. Um, and then I believe to the Boston Globe, um, he said, just changing faces doesn't always change things, uh, but it may have to come to that, insinuating a trade. So lots to unpack there. I mean, he's kind of taking the blame, uh, but also at the same token, acknowledging that, hey, part of it's on the players. And if we have to change things up, uh, that's what it's going to have to come to. So what did you make of those comments? Yeah, one thing I found pretty interesting was that he said, we're not playing with the passion we need. I think that's on the players. And that's true. If, if you're going to, you know, if you're talking about effort level and energy, it's up to the players mostly. But right. I also think Brad Stevens factors into that. And pretty much since he's got here, Brad Stevens, at least by the way he's perceived, you know, in Boston and, and almost pretty much like around, you know, the NBA world can seemingly do no wrong. Like you, you, you rarely, if ever, hear any criticism of Brad Stevens. And when a team's playing bad and they lose games as badly as those games were against the Pistons and the uh, Wizards, some of that falls on the coach. You know, it has to, you know, like it's up. He's been here for seven years now. He's dealt with this core group. What you're talking smart Brown uh, and Tatum for a minimum of four years now. He knows what makes that core tick. He's got to do something. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's up. To, I mean, part of the coach as far as outside of the X's and O's, is getting your team ready to go. And they did not look ready to go against the Wizards and they look flat against the Pistons too. So I don't think Brad Stevens, you know, he shouldn't go without criticism for how they're playing right now. No, I agree with you. Um, it, but I think sort of bigger picture, you know, and everybody wants to say, well, this is on Ainge. He built this team. Sort of like how people say that about Belichick. You know, you built that seven and nine roster. That's on you. Ainge, you built a, a team that's 13 and three. That's on you. And, th and that's true. Uh, same with Brad Stevens. Listen, you're supposed to be one of the best coaches in the NBA. You have, um, you know, people that we've ex been expecting you to become like the next Greg Popovich. Where is it? Uh, and, you know, all that is fair. But I just think in general, it's it, everybody deserves some blame. It's not like you can all put it on one person. And I don't think that's being too wishy-washy. I think it's true. I mean, listen, at, at this point, it's clear that Tatum and Brown aren't quite ready to be the kind of players that can just carry you to a title or track superstars to the team, a la LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And of course, expecting Tatum Brown to ever be that good is unfair, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's clear that right now they're not enough. They need more, or they just have need to have a little bit more maturing to do before they're ready or it's their time, so to speak. And on Danny Ainge. Yeah. I mean, I think he's overall done a good job in Boston. I don't think you could argue otherwise, but he definitely is guilty of, not consolidating draft picks, not hitting enough on some of these late picks. The Peyton Pritchard one looks good, but 
Aaron Naismith, we don't know. Romeo Langford, we don't know. Grant Williams looks awful sometimes, looks kind of like P.J. Tucker some nights. Who really knows there? Um, this James Young, this, you know, Gershon Yavaselli, there's a lot of guys. And listen, every NBA general manager has a spotty record in the draft. Uh, but I think Ainge definitely deserves criticism. And for the way he basically, you know, Gordon Hayward left this offseason and all he did was bring in Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, like that's not going to move the needle. Um, so I think he deserves criticism. And I think Brad Stevens also deserves criticism because too often in these games, the Celtics get let other teams get on these runs. Like the Pistons the other night went on like a 20 to or 40 to 15 run and there are no timeouts. There's no, in the few that there were, it's, it doesn't look like he said, hey guys, stop just chucking up threes. You're not going to shoot your way out of a slump. So I think everybody deserves a lot of blame. Um, and I just think it might also be time for people to accept the reality that the Celtics might actually be a 13 and 13 team. No, I, I totally agree with you. Like when I say fix something, I mean, obviously something needs to be done, but at, at the same time, it's just, you could honestly wonder how much improvements will that yield, no matter like what is done, you know, like you like they really might just be like the fourth seed in the East at best. And I think what's making these concerns even worse for the Celtics is that you're seeing the growth and development of other teams in the East. Like right. most recently, like they lost, but like the Sixers without Embiid gave Utah one hell of a game. Like Simmons put up 40. It looks like the Nets are starting to gel a bit. Like those guys know their roles. Milwaukee's Milwaukee. So like as these powerhouses in the East are getting better, you're just kind of, you know, dwindling slash getting worse it's just all around just not looking good yeah and I mean listen you're a team that has Grant Williams Semi Ojale and Peyton Pritchard who listen we all like what he's done so far but he's a late first round draft pick uh, all of them averaging 19 or more minutes a night Javante Green getting 15 minutes a night so is Robert Williams your preseason sort of or early season takeaway that Robert Williams just is never going to be a consistently reliable NBA player continues to look correct. Um, so just, again, you, a lot of these guys, Grant Williams, Semi Ojale, Peyton Pritchard, Jeff T, Javante Green, uh, Robert Williams, Naismith is starting to get some more time. Uh, these guys are all getting a lot of minutes out there. And I'm sorry, if those kind of players are getting consistent big minutes on a nightly basis, you're probably just an okay team. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. When, when you, when you look back at even, you know, just recent championship teams, like the six or seventh players on those teams are really good players, you know, and then like, like right. the, 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 you know, the Celtics first player off the, I mean, outside of smart, let's just say it is like Pritchard, like it's Peyton Pritchard. Can he be the seventh best player on a championship team? I don't think so. I mean, it, no. and like, I think more so than any other professional sport talent prevails in the NBA, just because it can be such a one-on-one -on -one sport. And sometimes, Right. When you watch some of these games, I mean, the Celtics really just do look outmatched from a talent perspective. Yeah. And again, that's because, and we like Jason Tatum and we like Jalen Brown. I think they're franchise pieces, but they're not yet Kevin Durant, LeBron, Anthony Davis, these kind of guys. They're just not. So if they're not that, you need to have better second or secondary or third options than some of the, play the players that we just mentioned. And everyone hoped it would be Kemba Walker, but for the reasons that we've gone over, over and over again, uh, there's reason to doubt uh, whether he ever is going to be. So I don't know, but 
in terms of addressing it or fixing it. And again, I think the Celtics have to decide here before the trade deadline. I'm not sure when it is. I always forget. I think it's February 24th or March 24th or something. I forget. But uh, anyway, you know, Celtics have to decide by then, are we going for it or are we still, you know, are we on like a two, three year plan here? Um, and again, I think it's constantly evolving because Gordon Hayward leaves, not what they plan. Kyrie Irving leaves, not what they plan, all this stuff. Um, but let's say they do decide to add, if they decide to buy. Uh, two players that everybody consistently mentions are Andre Drummond, Andre, Andre Drummond, who the Cavaliers reportedly, or I don't even think it's reportedly, I think they admitted it, are actively shopping and want to trade because they want Jared Allen to be the center. Uh, and Blake Griffin, who there's some, some issue where he doesn't want to play until his future or role is secure or, or defined, whatever, looks like he could be on the move. Um, so first, what do you, what do you think on Drummond? Uh, I, I mean, Drummond would address an interior issue they've dealt with for some time now, obviously like he's a rebound machine. He's got like a level of touchdown low, but you know, I just, I feel like Drummond coming in into a situation where it isn't actually like great right now. And I think for him to just try to jump onto a team that, you know, morale might not be too high. I think he could potentially bring that back down just because he has been a part of like so many losing teams. I just don't know if he would, you know, really catalyze anything. Um, and I mean, right now, I think the Celtics, what they really need most is kind of like some outside like scoring touch. So especially for the price tag, I don't know how, how, keen i am on drummond coming in yeah and you mentioned the price tag i believe he is making like 28.7 million um or something like that i'll have to double check but regardless i know that he doesn't fit uh within the trade exception from the gordon hayward sign and trade so the celtics would have to do something else doesn't mean they have to do a lot i mean you could trade javante green or something um and you can make it work but regardless uh you couldn't he, he would not alone fit underneath the exception so they'd have to figure that out um for Andre Drummond, I go back and forth on him because on one hand, I totally get why, you know, anytime the Andre Drummond rumors pop up, the Celtics media brigade or the fans or whatever, they all go, no, this is not who fits the Celtics offense. This does not fit the Brad Stevens system. This isn't who, uh, what they want to be. It doesn't work. Um, as if the Celtics have some bulletproof, like proven system that's championship caliber. I mean, I think they at least at this point have to be open to, they need to change the way they play because it clearly isn't good enough to get them all the way. Uh, but regardless, you know, I, I understand those points because, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are players who can, especially Brown at this point, who can drive to the rim, you know, finish with authority, great wing players who can slash and shoot and they need space to the middle of the floor to be able to operate and do that kind of stuff. And a player like Drummond, who has no outside shot, uh, clogs things up. So I get it on that level. But at the same time, you know, I'm just looking at his basketball reference page. And I think Andre Drummond might be the most consistent NBA player of all time. Uh, this season, he's averaging 17 and a half points. Uh, and then going back last year, 17 and a half points. The year before, 17.8. year before, 17.7. Then 17.3. And then, you know, up to 15, 14, 13 in his earlier years. But the last five seasons, he's averaged right around 17 and a half. And then rebounds. 16, 15 and a half, 15.2, 15.8, this year 13 and a half. But regardless, I mean, that's a, a very 
consistent player. His assists are always right around two and a half. Um, his blocks one about 1.6 uh, each of the last five seasons. So I do think there's there has to be, uh, unless the NBA is just so far gone, where there's no place for a guy who you can bank on getting 17 points, 15 rebounds, and playing great defense, except against Joel Embiid on a nightly basis. Unless there just truly is no room for a player like that anymore, like I'm kind of into the idea of Andre Drummond. At least I can talk myself into it. Yeah, I mean, I do think some context should be added to those stats. I mean, a lot bad of teams. Those, yeah, a lot of those were on teams, not just bad teams, a teams that had zero direction. I mean, the Pistons have just were like a complete mess. They were seemingly like the last team to try to build through big men, like when they tried the you know, Andre Drummond, Greg Monroe experience. We just had monsters down low. Yeah. And he just joined like a sinking ship that was the Cavs. So he's had opportunities to pad the stats. He obviously wouldn't have that much opportunity in Boston. Um, so, um, I feel like the more I'm, you know, iffy on the Drummond idea means the more I'm leaning towards no. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Um, and again, he has no outside shot. He's 0 of 8 on three-pointers this season. Uh, I don't know if any of those are legit or if that's him chucking it up full court at the end of a quarter. Um, though that said, back in 2018, he shot 38 and made five. I mean, that's atrocious. It's 13%, but I don't know. Maybe maybe they could tap into it. Who the hell knows? Um, I mean, I get it. I think push come to shove, I agree with you, that he's those numbers need to be taken in context um, and that ultimately he's not a good fit for the Celtics. But I'm at least intrigued by the possibility. Um, someone who I'm definitely down on, especially because the price tag is Blake Griffin. Um, I think he's far more name than substance now. And again, I think he's making like 36 and a half million bucks. So he wouldn't fit in the exception either. And you'd have to give up I don't know, some pretty considerable pieces or the Pistons would have to eat a lot of the money. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, you know, I think everybody wants to, imagine that Blake Griffin is anything close to what he used to be. But the fact of the matter is he's averaging 12.3 points per game this season uh, down to five, 5.2 rebounds, four assists. Um, maybe it's just cause he's mailed it in and some of the talk of him being disgruntled or, or whatever are true, but last year he wasn't much better. 15 and a half points um, only 4.7 rebounds. He has been shooting outside a little bit better this year than he was last year up to 31% from three, but still that's not good enough for the Celtics either. Um, so I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to do the Blake Griffin thing. Yeah. One thing that really has bummed me out the past season and last, um, it's just a steady regression of Blake Griffin, who once was one of the most exciting players in basketball, just a guy who could, you know, jump through the roof, um, just dominant down low. And now I'm pretty sure he hasn't dunked since 2019, which is pretty insane to think that about. Can't be, is that true? Where did you it, see that? No, it is true. I, I think it was Jalen Rose who said it on uh, his show recently, which is just mind-blowing to think about because that was obviously a main staple of his game. He is pretty bad defensively, just can't move laterally at all. Um, again, the only like thing I could think about, like you said, is maybe he's just been checked out because it probably is very tough to stay motivated playing in Detroit right but for the price tag and just just the ch like I feel like the percent chance of him being a productive player at least for like a championship level team is pretty low 
I'm down on that idea as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm down on both of them. Um, far more interesting to me is the, the talk of a potential John Collins and Rajon Rondo package. Um, I think that's more just people saying they'd like to do that uh, than any sort of legitimate rumor. Um, I think maybe there was some talk that the Hawks would consider moving John Collins, but regardless, if that's on the table, I'm in. That's a good trade. Um, but we'll have to see if that becomes any more substantiated going forward. Um, so we got to get out of here in, in just a couple minutes, but I do want to get to around the NBA real quick. Um, just a couple of things that stuck out to us over the past week. Uh, what do you got, Adam? Yeah, one thing I thought was pretty uh, cool is just to think about the idea. So um, as we remember, the NBA went into a mini lockout heading into the 2011 season. It was right after the Heat lost to the Mavericks in the NBA Finals, which was obviously a very you know, big turning point in LeBron's career. And during that time, he admitted he actually gave some thought to making the jump to the NFL. Um, he apparently had a, or a tryout offer on the table from the Cowboys. I think he also had one from the Seahawks. In a recent interview with The Athletic, he basically, you know, he was saying that he was convinced he would have made the team. He knows he would have had a tryout, but he was very sure he would have made any team he tried out for. Um, we scoff at that, but then you just also think of the idea of just a six foot eight, six foot nine, 260 pound dude, you know, line him up wherever you like defensive end, probably even more better served as a tight end, but just, yeah, the idea of LeBron and like a red zone offense is just pretty cool to me. Yeah. Uh, if LeBron uh, assuming, well, I don't mean, cause you can't assume this, but if he, stayed relatively healthy and proved capable of being hit on a football field, LeBron James would have been the greatest receiver of all time, better than Calvin Johnson. A thousand percent, he would have been unbelievable. Um, and I believe he was an all-state wide receiver in high school. Uh, so this isn't coming out of anywhere, out of nowhere. He's He's got a history. Uh, so I, I would, the, the coolest thing he could have done after he won the championship in Cleveland, he should have done it. Because like at that point, he should have realized no one's ever going to say I'm better than Jordan. That thing's gone. My legacy is, is done. I'm, I'm, I'm an all-time NBA great, yada, yada, yada. I will vault into a completely different stratosphere unto myself if I make the move to the NFL. He should have just done it, um, but it's too late now. Uh, so for me, real quick, I want to get to two things. Number one, uh, Draymond Green, a lot of people talking about it today. Basically, last night, he went on a soliloquy about how there's a double standard where players who request trades uh, get crushed or when they speak out in any way they get lambasted by media and fans yet teams are allowed to just basically say well we want to trade a player and nobody says anything or he specifically was citing how the Cavaliers treated Andre Drummond last night where they brought Andre Drummond out and he was sitting on the sideline uh, in his warm-up or in his jersey whatever and then because of all the trade stuff they sent him back to the locker room brought him back out in street clothes because he can't go into the game because they're probably going to trade him soon so he was saying there was this double standard I agree with him there's a double standard I also and this might make me callous and short-sighted close-minded whatever um, I and maybe or a little too like grumpy old man whatever you want to put it you're making millions of dollars to play a game deal with it it's just that's just where I am on this I, I think I'll always be on that I'm sorry getting yanked around on an NBA bench uh, while you're making 30 million a year isn't as worse isn't as bad as sitting in Boston traffic or it's not nearly as soul-sucking as sitting in Boston traffic uh, so I just 
I don't want to hear it. This is I didn't. I get what he's saying. I acknowledge the double standard, but you got no sympathy for me. You're all you have like hundred million dollar contracts to throw a ball through a hoop. You know, deal with the double standard. It is what it is. Uh, and the other one thing I want to get to real quick, Celtics related, Hornets, Charlotte Hornets, not bad, <laughs> kind of okay actually. Uh, they're thirteen and fifteen right now. That's a game behind the Celtics which is just tough, <laughs> really tough. Uh, and more so the fact that, boy, they are getting huge contributions, not just from Devontae Graham and, and LaMelo Ball and sort of the usual suspects there and, and, you know, their rookie of the year candidate, but Gordon Hayward, 22 points a game, five rebounds for about four assists, basically being Gordon Hayward. He's been awesome there. And Terry Rozier has been really good. Uh, 20 points a game shooting uh, 45% from three-point range, Gordon Hayward at 42%. Uh, they've been really good. They've been a great duo there. The Hornets seem to have a really good mix of veterans and Hayward and, and Rozier and Young and LaMelo Ball and Devontae Graham. And again, they're only a game behind the Celtics uh, in the Eastern standings. So, you know, chew on that and uh, realize that the Celtics got a back-to-back -back here with the Nuggets and the Hawks. And if that thing goes sideways, you could be behind the Hornets in the standings before you know it. Yeah, I mean, to bring it back to, you know, Hornets might be the most perfect example of fun, bad team. I know they're hovering around 500 right now. They're not a good basketball team. Like, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but maybe they, maybe they'll sneak into that eight seed, but I mean, they are super fun to watch. LaMelo is as advertised. He's like a wizard passing. Uh, Hayward is showing that he is, can be, you know, a focal point of the offense, not just, you know, the six man role that a lot of people thought he was resigned to at this point in his career. Yeah. And I mean, I think Terry Rozier can be a liability at times, but he he's, you know, he has the offensive skills. He's a high energy player. So yeah, the Hornets have been a very fun team to watch this season. Yeah. Uh, one, one quick hot take before we go. If I could do it again, I think I'd take Terry Rozier over Marcus Smart. That's the decision the Celtics made a couple of years ago. They basically said, nope, Marcus Smart over Terry Rozier. I, I got, I got the logic at the time. If I could do it again, I think I might go the other way, but that's how I feel. Uh, we got to get out of here though. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Hopefully we have Alex back next week, as I said. And again, we'll look forward to talking to you next time on the next episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast.